Hello, everyone. Welcome to this special event on Hindsight is 2020, reflecting on IFPRI's 2020 vision initiative. I'm Laura Zaleski, Program Manager in the Director General's Office at IFPRI, and I'll be moderating this event. We'd like to thank those of you joining this virtual event live, and thanks to those of you who are watching this recording after the event as well. We're eager to hear from you, so to participate in our Q&A session that will follow the panel discussion and brief presentations, please submit your questions on ifpre.org, Facebook, YouTube, or by using hashtag AskIfPre on Twitter. For our friends from the media, if you have any specific queries or questions, please feel free to contact our media team. Their contact details are available on ifpre.org. We have an exciting program lined up for you, and I would like to call first on Rajul Pandya Lorch, Director of the Communications and Public Affairs Division and Chief of Staff in the Director General's Office at IFPRI, who will engage in a conversation about the 2020 Vision Initiative with three former Directors General of IFPRI. Rajul will be retiring from IFPRI tomorrow, July 9th, and while we are very sad to see her go, we are extremely grateful for her many contributions to the Institute, especially her role heading the 2020 Vision Initiative for more than 15 years. So Rajul, over to you. Laura, thank you so much. Per, Joachim, and Schengen, I would like very much to begin by thanking you for your trust in allowing me to run the 2020 Vision Initiative for more than 15 years and not just to run it, but to extend it and innovate it together with you. I believe that together we have pushed the frontier of food policy dialogues to support re-election on a number of development challenges. For our audience around the world, a brief recap. In 1993, PEAR created the 2020 Vision Initiative with two primary objectives to develop and promote a shared vision and consensus for action for meeting food needs while reducing poverty and protecting the environment. And second, to generate information and encourage debate to influence action by various stakeholders, including governments, non-governmental organizations, the private sector, and more. IFPRI's 2020 vision was to eradicate hunger and malnutrition while protecting the environment. I was working with Pear as his special assistant in 1993 and supported him in the background with the conception of the initiative and the first conference in 1995. I don't think Pear envisioned the initiative continuing beyond 1996 or so, but then several African leaders asked him to develop a 2020 vision for their countries. And that was when I applied for and got the position to head the 2020 initiative and helped to set up the 2020 vision networks for East and West Africa to help African countries strengthen their capacity to develop and implement their own 2020 visions. I'm very proud of that work for many reasons, but one key one is that it subsequently led to the development of the Collaborative Masters in Agricultural and Applied Economics, the CMAAE program, covering 16 universities in 12 Eastern and Central African countries. We nurtured the program within the 2020 initiative for the foundational years, and then we successfully transferred it over to the African Economic Research Consortium, where it is flourishing. So coming back to the 2020 initiative, our trademark has been the six conferences we organized between 1995 and 2014, not just conferences, but full-scale policy dialogue processes, 
each lasting about two years and centered around the global conferences. We invested in significant lead-in research work in the year preceding the conference to inform the conference agenda and development. We held the conference itself, exploring new modalities and approaches to advance the conversations on key policy issues. And then we spent a year or so in follow-up work to widely share the conference findings. Working in close collaboration with the IFBRI DG at that time, I led the organization of five of these 2020 conferences, but their success was truly a team effort, resulting from outstanding, passionate work, commitment from many colleagues inside IFPRI and outside IFPRI. A profound thank you to all of them, some of whom are on the program, many of us are watching. We made wonderful teams together and a big thank you to all of you. I loved our 2020 conferences. I loved how we invested in the landscape analyses and broad consultations to identify appropriate topics, the nascent demand from policymakers and practitioners. I felt that ensured our conferences were taking place just as an important issue was emerging on the policy arena. We put together donor consortia to support these conferences. Each of them had 10 to 20 sponsors, some of whom were repeat sponsors. Big thank you to them. We prepared many books, papers, briefs, and other products to provide an evidence base. We made strong efforts to hear from as many different voices, different perspectives before, during, and after so that we could have truly inclusive debates and dialogues. We innovated on our communication support, moving from traditional papers to briefs to blogs to videos, moving from plenaries and panels to side events, moving from traditional media to social media and the like. All these innovations were necessary to remain relevant as technologies and audience preferences evolved. We invested in impact evaluations to learn where and how we had impact and where we did not. And those lessons were then put to work to continue to innovate the initiative. All of this was not easy work. There was much we learned, we improved along the way, but again, I will repeat, all this was made possible because of truly committed colleagues who together wanted to innovate. These colleagues were within and outside DIFPRI, but most importantly, by the three director generals who are here today, Pear, Joachim and Schengen, who saw the value of the 2020 Vision Initiative to catalyze policy discourse, contribute to informed discussion, debate, engage diverse audiences. So I end my opening remarks the same way I started, by thanking them for this opportunity to work on the 2020 Vision Initiative with them, a very special time in my life. Now I'd like to move forward to the conversation with them because it's really a very special occasion to have with all three of them together and they were all three so influential. So I'm moving over, uh, moving over to the conversation round and I'd like to begin with Per Pinsrup-Anderson. So Per is currently the Professor Emeritus and Graduate School Professor at Cornell University. And Per, let me ask you, you served as the Director General of IFPRI between 1992 and 2002. And very early in your tenure, you created this initiative. And as part of this initiative, you led two global conferences, one in 1995 in Washington on the vision, challenge, and recommended action, and another one in 2001 on sustainable food security for all by 2020. This was in Bonn, Germany. And my questions to you are, what led you to create this initiative? 
What problem were you trying to solve? What was unique about this initiative and what were the unique features? So over to you, Pear. Pear, you're muted. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes, perfect, thank you. All right, let me... Uh, so, uh, thank you, Rajul. Before uh, I answer your questions, I want to say a few things about you. Because given that you have decided to retire, effective uh, the day after tomorrow, I guess, um, this is a good opportunity to recognize the tremendous contributions you have made, certainly to the... Um, 2020 Vision Initiative, which we're talking about today, but also in a number of other ways, uh, you have contributed to the success of IFPRI and to um, better lives for the people we're trying to serve, as well as uh, better uh, environmental uh, protection and management of natural resources. Uh, as I, I think as we move uh, through this um, conference, it becomes clear to everybody uh, the tremendous uh, contributions you have made as the innovative leader of the 2020 Vision Initiative. Um, but you have also contributed in so many other ways um, uh, within and, and outside of IFPRI. You have led the uh, communications uh, activities uh, at IFPRI uh, for a number of years. Uh, you have produced a tremendous number of uh, policy briefs, uh, books, papers, articles, you have given a number, a large number of oral presentations about uh, many aspects of food policy. And my guess is that there are very few people attending this um, conference that have not been influenced by your work one way or the other. And that in itself is a tremendous accomplishment. You have added uh, to the knowledge uh, of food policy and you have added to the action and to the well-being of people. And I wanted to say that, but I'm not trying to avoid answering the questions, but I just wanted to say it. And I want to uh, also say that during the uh, nine or 10 years we worked together, uh, you made me look good. Um, you may think that uh, some of the papers that have my name on, in fact, you, it was written by me, but they weren't. They were written by with you. So here again, you were influenced by it. Now, I want to add, she didn't write all my papers. I did have an impact, uh, or I did have something to say about what went in there. But the point I'm trying to make, instead of rattling on, is that um, I so much enjoyed working with you and I know the tremendous contributions that you made. Now to the questions. Why did we create the 2020 Vision Initiative and what were some of the problems we were trying to, we were trying to solve? As you already mentioned, the, Radul, the 2020 Vision Initiative was about policy communication and food uh, policy dialogue to support action the kind of action that was based on relevant and solid evidence. The flip side of that was that we were also trying to counter misinformation disseminated by very effective advocacy groups that misled policy action to the detriment of food insecure people and the environment. So those were the kinds of things we were trying to do. You have already mentioned the objectives. I don't have to repeat those. Uh, when I joined IFPRI as Director General, I found a very large amount of solid evidence um, relevant for action in the area of food policy. 
it was embodied in research reports. If we had produced during its short uh, time uh, of life about a hundred research reports, each of which was of a length of about a hundred pages. In addition, there were many, many papers, journal articles, book chapters, and so on. Some of that information, some of that material was used in debates, in conferences, in interactions with policymakers. But the potential power of all this science-based knowledge to guide action was, in my opinion, not fully utilized or appreciated. Uh, if we were very highly regarded among policy analysts and others in that same uh, or similar business, uh, but it was not a major player in the international food policy debate. Uh, national governments, uh, NGOs, the private sector did not really have easy access to, to results from all of this good work that IFPRI had produced. So we started discussing with, within IFPRI, how, how could we strengthen the impact of all the good work, all the good research that, uh, that IFPRI was doing? And we had some heated discussions internally. Uh, because there was a concern that maybe we were going to turn ourselves into an advocacy group and stop doing research and just uh, advocating for poor people. Um, and yes, we will advocate for poor people, but that advocacy has to be based on solid empirical evidence that either we produce or it's produced by somebody else. Uh, we concluded those discussions by creating uh, what turned out to be the 2020 Vision Initiative. Uh, why 2020 vision? Well, we were just playing on the concept of perfect vision in, uh, as expressed in the English language. Uh, 2020 vision or eyesight means that you have a perfect uh, eyesight. That's what, we were, that's what we, were, we were trying to do. So um, we, we, we really wanted to facilitate the action to achieve a world where everybody had access to the food they needed without doing damage to natural resources. And we wanted to gain more recognition about, uh, among our big brothers uh, in the international uh, scene uh, while enhancing access to IFPRI's output by those influencing, uh, influencing action. So it was an integral part of, of IFPRI's work trying to strengthen the impact of all the good research that we were, that we were doing. So that, those are the answers to, to your, first, uh, your, your, your first two questions. Why did we create the initiative and what was the problem we were trying to solve? Uh, you had a third uh, question. What was unique about the, about the 2020 initiative? And, and there I'm not sure that in, this, in the narrow definition of the word unique. I'm not sure there was anything. Uh, I think anything and everything we did within the 2020 Vision Initiative had been done by somebody before, but probably not in that combination. But whether these things were unique or not may be a matter of less importance. What's really important is that there were some key characteristics of the 2020 Vision Initiative that I believe made a difference. And I want to mention just three of them. First of all, the initiative was tailored to those who had the power to improve the food system. And um, as an illustration, we packaged the evidence from our research so that it was easily accessible for busy decision makers. 
We developed short uh, policy briefs, as Wadul has already mentioned. Uh, we continued, of course, to do research reports, but we did fewer very long research reports and, and paid much more attention to shorter versions without losing the importance of the research, uh, the research findings. We um, spend a lot more time interacting with the news media. We've developed uh, press briefings, press releases. Uh, we found out that in Washington, if you feed them, they'll come. So we had a number of lunches, lunch meetings with reporters um, to, to hope that the news media would help us disseminate the results from the work that we were doing. We pursued direct interaction with policymakers and advisors in, uh, and in a number of ways, some of which Radul has mentioned, but I want to mention something else that Radul did not mention, namely that we also tried to get policymakers and advisors into our research priority setting because we wanted the intended consumers of our work uh, to tell us what they were likely to be needing in order to make the world a better place. So, they, so we try to get them involved in the priority setting as well as in the actual analysis so they could begin to take ownership to the results. And then of course we uh, disseminated the results uh, through workshops and policy conferences. Uh, Radul again has mentioned those already and um, direct intervention, uh, direct interaction with policymakers. Uh, one other thing I want to mention here, there was this very important part uh, of the 2020 Vision Initiative and in which uh, Mark Rosebrand is going to talk more about, I believe, later on today, uh, are the projections. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to food demand? What's going to happen to the demand of the various food commodities? What's going to happen to nutrition? What if, what if something else outside the food system happens? How is that going to affect nutrition? and natural resources. What about climate change? A number of things like that, uh, that uh, Mark and his team produced that uh, was very, very important in the work that the 2020 Vision um, Initiative did. So that was the first uh, characteristic I wanted to mention. The second one was that the knowledge we offered to decision makers was based on solid refereed policy research. No, it wasn't just based on some feelings or some ideology. We actually did the research before we uh, opened our mouths in terms of uh, potential consequences of alternative action. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, to do that, we had to be an integral part. And when I say we, by the way, I'm talking about IFPRI. Um, of course, uh, been long gone from there, but I still think I'm part of the IFPRI family, but that's my problem. Um, it is an integral element of IFPRI's overall work. Uh, we were not just a, an isolated, um, independent program, and that's why we called it uh, an initiative rather than a program. The third characteristic was that we were quite assertive in the competition for attention in the international food policy debate. We did not want to be seen as a backroom policy research organization. We wanted to be out there uh, right there with, the, with our big brothers, uh, and you know who they are in the food and agriculture business and health and, and nutrition. We promoted IFPRI as well as uh, IFPRI output, and we promoted our outstanding staff that produced it. Um, 
because we wanted to have an impact and we, we thought we had a lot to contribute. We were small, but knowledge was power as we saw it. And we wanted to make a difference. And that's all I'm going to uh, say to answer your questions with you. Thank you. Thank you, Per. You have, thank you also for your very generous remarks about me at the beginning. Let's focus on the 2020 and the work. Uh, and really, thank you for starting us off. Let me now move to Joachim. And Joachim, you're currently Joachim von Braun, currently the director of the Department for Economic and Technological Change at the Center for Development Research at the University of Bonn. Joachim, you served as IFPRI's Director General between 2002 and 2009. And during that period, you led the 2020 Vision Initiative, including two global conferences, one in April 2004 in Kampala on assuring food and nutrition security in Africa by 2020, and the other one uh, in October 2007 in Beijing on taking action for the world's poor and hungry people. Let's talk about the Africa conference. Uh, why a conference focused on Africa then? And let me continue by mentioning that today you're the co-chair of the Malabo Montpellier panel, which is a group of international agricultural experts who guide policy choices to accelerate progress towards food security and improved nutrition in Africa. So making the segue from a wire conference focused on Africa then to where is Africa today and have we made progress? Over to you, Joachim. I thank you, Rajul. Um, colleagues, it's a pleasure to be with you in this uh, conference call. Um, yes, I will talk about Africa and the 2020 vision, but this is also to talk about you, Rajul. Uh, I want to fully support what, uh, and endorse what Pear has said. Um, you have made uh, not only IFPRI a better place, but uh, you have made a contribution to a betterment of the world. So thank you for that. It was a pleasure to work with you. Um, always uh, so helpful and professional. Um, one other uh, remark before Africa, <clears throat> talking about Africa. Um, the conference in 2007 in China made um, um, important contributions as well. This uh, I was at a time uh, when the world food price crisis uh, was uh, in the making. So a lot of attention was given to the 2020 conference in China. China has made tremendous progress towards actually ending hunger. And um, we should recognize that. We um, had an opportunity to study and learn from the Chinese experience and maybe also contributing to it. So to your question, why a 2020 conference in 2004 uh, on Africa, in Africa? The answer is simple, because we saw opportunity. We were optimists and still are optimists about Africa. Partly, of course, it was prompted by uh, the Maputo Declaration. In July 2003, the African Union made history with that declaration of CADEP, the so-called Comprehensive African Agriculture Development Program. So we, we came right after that. Uh, you and your team, Raju, rose to the challenge. We invited about 300 political leaders, academicians, uh, NGO and business leaders, and uh, three presidents, um, Presidents Museveni, Obasanyo, and Wade uh, from uh, Uganda and Nigeria and Senegal. Everyone wanted to be there. Uh, the conference center was totally overbooked. 
Uh, it was an African-owned conference. The, the most important outcome probably was um, the uh, can-do atmosphere, the commitments. It had ripple effects in Africa. Let me um, uh, highlight that um, in the aftermath of the Kampala conference, we, if we opened three offices, uh, one um, in Addis Ababa, uh, one in um, uh, in Dakar, Senegal, and uh, uh, one uh, at the CADEP uh, uh, office in South Africa. Um, so uh, if we uh, uh, move to the ground in Africa, uh, an important outcome was that uh, Usman Badiana, our Africa director, <coughs> then thereafter, um, had his worst, first working day, his first working day in Kampala. Um, he always reminded me of that, um, that this was uh, a great start. There were a few other outcomes um, that um, uh, are noteworthy. Um, we innovated with that conference, with you, as you recall, we had these essay competitions and we broadened the agenda, bringing in cultural leaders. Ole Soyinka, the Nobel laureate for literature from Nigeria, gave a very important speech uh, um, connecting uh, the food issues to culture and dignity. Um, one of his phrases was, food is allied to culture in the most organic, interactive ways, and one may be brought to the aid of and enhancement of or celebration of the other. So, um, deep thinking went into these conferences um, and um, they had their impact. Um, let me close by saying, where, where is Africa now? Uh, well, African GDP is three times of what it was in uh, 2004. Prevalence of undernutrition is down, but not yet enough. Um, the climate crisis is real, making matters more difficult. But uh, you referred to the Malabo-Montpellier panel studies, which I co-chair with Usman Badiana. And uh, there we look at um, cases of progress in Africa uh, and um, facilitate um, with the panel uh, of distinguished Africans and uh, a couple of Europeans, uh, facilitate learning within Africa from African success stories. And, uh, for every topic we picked so far on nutrition, on energy, on irrigation, on digitization, and now next week uh, comes a new report on animal production and uh, milk and meat uh, uh, sectors. If you look carefully, you find at least a dozen of very successful countries uh, who have made uh, things differently, and um, we point at these uh, positive examples. And um, that has, um, is very much in the spirit of the 2020 initiative. Learn from good examples, move forward, overcome depression, and uh, thereby uh, have a policy impact. Let me leave it at that at this moment. Joachim, thank you. And thank you for bringing back those happy memories of Kampala, which is such a special conference as well as Beijing. So I'd like to move now to our uh, third uh, DG, and that is Schengen Fan. 
Schengen is senior chair, uh, professor at the China Agricultural University. And Schengen, you served as IFRI's director general between 2009 uh, and um, uh, uh, 2019. And you joined IFPRI in 1995 when the 2020 initiative was only two years in. So you have a unique vantage point. Uh, and during your time, we had also two major global conferences, one in February 2011 in New Delhi on leveraging agriculture for improving nutrition and health, and one in May 2014 on building resilience for food and nutrition security. I know you're passionate about the interlinkages between agriculture and nutrition. So let's talk about the Delhi conference. Did we succeed in bringing these two communities together? And have we fully exploited the potential of agriculture to contribute to nutrition? So over to you, Schengen. Uh, Raju, your pre-colleagues and friends. Greetings from Beijing. So before I answer Raju's question, like Pei and Joachim, I also wanted to say a couple of words about Raju. So Rajo has successfully managed five DGs. The DG performed very well. IPRI has succeeded for the last 30 years. So there is a best secret. That is Rajo. So Rajo has managed all these five DGs very well. And every time when there is a new DG, Rajo takes a new responsibility. You know, from research assistant to special assistant, to uh, head of 2020 conference, to chief of staff, to CPA director, and more. So I particularly uh, thank you, Raju, for your dedication, your commitment, and your trust uh, when you serve uh, as director of public affairs and communication, and chief of staff, and head of 2020, uh, while I was DG. I think your commitment is, uh, is just a cannot overstate it. And I, particularly, I, you, know, you always use your two cents to comment my proposal or my thinking. I think your two cents really worth two tons of gold. So I want to thank you for doing that. Now, talking about a daily conference, I do think it's a key milestone to link agriculture to nutrition. So that time, we were facing a big challenge. On the one hand, agriculture was growing pretty fast you know, after the Green Revolution. But the malnutrition, particularly undernutrition, lack of micronutrients, uh, undernourishment, uh, was still quite rampant. So how can we make that link much stronger? So that was the essence of the 2020 conference in New Delhi. I must say that I'm very proud of that conference. So as a result of the conference, we launched a big program, CGI program, uh, A4NH linking agriculture to nutrition and health. So many donors begin to use nutrition as a way to reshape or shape their agriculture program. And the agricultural programs also begin to use nutrition as one of the outcomes of the indicators to measure their success. And then the policymakers, the ministers of agriculture, minister of health, uh, minister of finance, begin to look at nutrition more seriously. So I'm quite proud of that conference. Now, several highlights from that conference. One is uh, agriculture program design. I remember that time we were struggling with this agriculture program can really deliver good nutrition. And after the debate in daily conference, we thought that we need new evidence. We need a better data, a better research. And today we do have 
concrete evidence and the data to show that agriculture can really improve nutrition, particularly linked with WASH. So agriculture program is designed, uh, let's say, in, in uh, let's say, in tender with, uh, with uh, WASH and, and beyond. And the women's empowerment in agriculture, if the woman is, is empowered in agriculture, then the nutrition improvement will, much, will be much greater you know, through uh, the women's allocation of time, through the women-friendly technology, uh, and obviously the uh, access to extension knowledge uh, by women uh, were very critical. Now the biofortification uh, was a sort of direct or more visible program that can really show the link. So today, um, I think after 2011, conference, we have seen tremendous progress through that program. So 20, I think 40 million smallholders and their families are, cons are consuming biofortified products. Now, obviously, agriculture also increased uh, farmers' income. So that can directly improve a farm, farmers' nutrition status through uh, purchasing uh, food products from market and so on. Now, to look forward, I think the policy still yet to be uh, re sort of designed to make sure that uh, some of the expenditure policy, subsidy policy. It looks like we have lost connection with uh, Schengen. Schengen, are you still able to hear us? Okay. Let's wait a second or two to see if Schengen is able to reconnect. If not, I will come back to our uh, second round. Okay. It looks like we have lost connection with Schengen Fan, and I'm hoping that we will be able to connect back with him shortly. In the meantime, what I would like to do is go back, and because our former DGs have all been so exciting, so interesting, and they've taken up time saying wonderful things about me, I apologize that we are running a little bit over time. So what I'd like to do, if it's agreeable with them, is to do a second round, but ask them to be very brief, just two minutes each, so that we can hear from our rapid-fire presenters. So with that, I would like to come back uh, first to Pear and then to Joachim, and then if Schengen is able to come back in, we'll take him. Uh, and I ask you, please, I apologize that I ask you to be two minutes each. And uh, Pear, the question I have for you is a fundamental question. We are in 2020 today. Have we achieved the 2020 vision initiative in your mind? And if not, why not? In two minutes, and then we'll come to Q&A. Over to you, Pear. And you're muted, Pear. <clears throat> Are we able to hear from Pear? No. Pear, you're still muted. Um, okay. All right. Okay. Anyway, here we go. Um, no, we have not achieved the 2020 vision. Uh, everybody knows that uh, we still have lots of uh, problems to deal with. Uh, the vision, as, as you all know, is a world without hunger and malnutrition in which natural resources were managed sustainably, and that was not achieved. Now, in, not even in our wildest dreams back in 1993 did we think that we, little if we, little 2020 vision, uh, could, could solve these problems, could make these problems disappear. Of course we could not. 
what we were trying to do was to impose this vision on the people who could make a difference uh, in terms of action, individuals and organizations with, with the power to at least uh, move in the right direction, uh, even if they could not uh, achieve the vision uh, within the time period that we had. And we were ready to play our role. And the, and the question uh, I would like to address in my two minutes is, how well did we do playing that role? And, and I want to warn the audience that um, I'm totally biased on this because I was uh, part of creating the 2020 vision. Uh, I was nurturing it during the first eight, nine years, but I will try to be unbiased to the, to the extent I possibly can. Uh, Rajul mentioned the two major objectives of the initiatives. First, to develop and promote a shared vision and consensus for action. And second, to generate knowledge and encourage debate to influence action uh, by various stakeholders. Now, let me, let me do the easy one first, namely the second one. Yes, we did generate a lot of new knowledge and we encouraged a debate that was in, based on enlightened um, information. It was based on solid information that came from, <clears throat> from good policy research. We were trying to kill uh, all of the misinformation that was running around in the uh, in the food uh, in the food system and in the international debate. So on that one, yes, we did succeed in achieving that objective, as far as I'm concerned. Um, the second one is much more difficult um, because I am not sure what the uh, impact of if we actually or the 2020 vision initiative actually was uh, in moving towards a more shared vision and uh, a shared consensus about how to deal with these problems. I think we did uh, move towards a shared vision and a shared consensus, but the extent to which if we contributed to that uh, is less clear to me. Now, maybe some of the uh, speakers that are to come have more information about, the, about that, uh, that income, that uh, impact. Thank you, Per. I'm going to wrap us up so I can move on uh, to our, the rest of the program. But uh, hopefully we'll come back into the Q&A part also because that segment is still there. Okay? okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Per. Let me move back to Schengen Fan. And Schengen, happy to have you back on. So thank you for that. And Schengen, I'm actually going to move us to the second round of questions. And I've apologized to everyone that we're going to keep this very compressed to two minutes. Uh, and my question, because this is so dear to your heart, South-South Learning, could you briefly talk about what role South-South Learning can play in helping countries to achieve their 2020 visions? Over to you, Schengen. Well, thank you, Rajo. Uh, let me also say a couple of words about the, uh, the Addis Conference on Resilience. I thought that, that topic was very timely. Uh, that's almost six years ago. So it's very relevant for today's problem, the COVID-19. We discuss about the role of social protection, the climate resilient technology, and, and uh, the building capacity, particularly to make sure that everybody has uh, access to healthy and nutritious food so that people can build their immunity against diseases. I thought that conference was very timely. It is just that we didn't pay enough attention to pandemics. But now the South, South learning, yes, absolutely. As Joachim mentioned, this part of the world, China, Vietnam, uh, and uh, Malaysia, East Asia, Southeast Asia, have made tremendous progress. 
on poverty reduction, on reduction of malnutrition. And another experience is here, and it, including building resilience after shocks, the SARS, climate change, and so on. So the mutual learning, South-South learning, is equally important, maybe even more important than South and North learning and, and beyond. So I really hope the next 2020 conference somewhere, uh, maybe in the South country, can really look at that issue more seriously. Going back to you. Thank you so much, Shengen. Thank you. Let me come and give the final question to you, Joachim. And Joachim, COVID-19 is here, as uh, Schengen just mentioned, and looking forward, making food systems resilient and sustainable will be imperative. What do you see as the key challenges and even more importantly, the key opportunities for doing this? Over to you, Joachim. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Joel and colleagues, I think uh, um, COVID-19 challenges us to bring the food system and the health system uh, together. Um, maybe that is the lesson which we uh, need to draw. Um, the interconnections between public health, uh, not under, only under pandemic conditions, uh, with the food system <clears throat> become very clear. Uh, the focus on sanitation and social protection, um, the, um, the action um, that need to parallel lockdowns, um, the focus on the collateral damage of COVID-19, both in the health system and in employment and um, uh, income earnings um, uh, in low-income and middle-income countries. Those are the tremendous challenges. Um, I think um, the, um, the need for social protection action <clears throat> under uh, COVID-19 uh, is, um, is very clear. Uh, so, um, uh, focusing in that context, um, especially also on youth employment, uh, not forgetting um, the, um, the education of youth, um, of young people in rural and urban areas, um, is another key uh, thing which needs to be kept in mind. Lastly, uh, the interactions between um, the COVID-19 corona crisis and the climate crisis need to be uh, uh, in perspective. Um, uh, the two have some connections, <clears throat> especially regarding um, the health effects of the climate crisis. So there is a new agenda emerging, which uh, I hope if we can take on. Back to you. Joachim, thank you so much. I would love to continue this conversation with all three of you. You know that I so much enjoy being with all of you. But I am cognizant of the time and that we have a number of other very interesting speakers also coming up. So let me conclude by doing two things. Thanking Per, Joachim and Schengen once more for the opportunity to work together with them, to learn from them, to benefit from their guidance and to also take this opportunity to thank the other two DGs with whom I've had the privilege of working. John Meller, whom I supported as a research assistant very early on in my time at IFPRI, and to Jo Swinnen, IFPRI's current Director General, for his incredible generosity, his kindness to me during the past six months. Jo, I would love to continue to work with you to support you. I have such great respect and regard for you and your leadership of IFPRI, especially in these times. 
but the time has come for me to spend more quality time with my husband who has been very patient with me over these years and has really supported my work with FPRI. And I would like to say a thank you to all of you. And I'd like to turn back to you, Laura. Laura, over to you. Thank you very much, everyone. Great. Thank you so much, Rajul, Pear, Joachim, and Shane, that, that wonderful discussion. I'd like to invite our rapid fire presenters to turn on their cameras now as we move to this next one of the event. I'm pleased to introduce our first presenter, Mark Rosegrant, Research Low Emeritus at IFPRI. Over to you. Thanks very much, Laura. Uh, much has been said already about Rajul, but let me just note also that Rajul was really the glue that, that held together the 2020 vision program throughout the rapidly changing external environment and bridging the leadership of the three G DGs from whom we, we have just heard. She had a strong grasp for the emerging issues of the day, how these could be illuminated and advanced by, by IFBRI research and, and how how these could then be turned into uh, impact-oriented work. Her management of each conference was superb. She, she was great at handling both external clients and stakeholders and, and internally free researchers, for many of whom, especially in the early years of 2020, this type of work translating rigorous research into uh, more accessible outputs and impacts was, was new and even unwelcome in many cases. She always showed immense patience and at least outward calm and she is a wonderful colleague and, and my friend. Let me pivot to say a few words about how IFPRI's impact modeling of scenarios for agriculture and food security contributed to the 2020 vision and how these scenarios look uh, in retrospect. The scenario projections developed for this program provided broad quantitative framing for the issues, highlighted potential future trends and policy investment responses uh, to those kinds, those trends. Scenarios can provide decision support and inform strategic planning, but also inform the broader public. They also provide a common framework for assessing, assessing big issues. These projections are not forecasts or predictions, but of course it's quite valuable if in fact uh, they do capture the broad developments. How did these 2020 vision projections fare? I just did a brief comparison between impact projections for 2020 global production and prices of cereals and for food security uh, that were published in 2001 with a 1997 base year for the model with actual outcomes. The actual outcomes for production I had to use from Faustat are actually for 2016 to 2018 average because those are the latest data available. And I have to admit, I was a bit worried about doing this. I didn't know how they were gonna look. Uh, but it turns out that the impact baseline projections did capture the big emerging global trends for production and de demand for cereals and meats. Although in two cases that I'll highlight did not, did not go far enough. First, we hit rice, wheat, and pork production on the nose. For each of them, the difference between our 2020 projection and actual production is less than 1%. We, we, we also foresaw the growth in production in maize would, would, would outstrip rice and wheat but we underestimated the dramatic growth in maize production and in demand for maize. There are two reasons for this. First, maize productivity growth was faster than we expected due to the much higher agriculture research and development investment for hybrid maize. Second, maize demand 
was boosted by a rapid growth in poultry demand, and also maize displaced a substantial portion of the feed demand that had previously gone to other coarse grains like sorghum, oats, and barleys, which fell out of popularity. On, on the livestock side, we also anticipated the slower growth in beef and, and faster growth in poultry production and demand, but we did not capture the full degree of that shift. So we were a, a bit high on beef and, and low on poultry. And that kind of trend of, of shifting towards poultry is continuing as, as we speak. I think very importantly, we had it right on food prices also. We projected that there would be only a slight decline in real prices of cereals and meats and, and other food commodities to tw between 1997 and 2020. Since food prices had declined by about half between 1970 and 1997, a lot of critics said we were being far too pessimistic. In fact, we were just being alarmist uh, to boost attention to food insecurity and make the case for investments in agriculture. The critics said the downward trend in, in price would continue benefiting consumers through lower prices. But in fact, real prices of cereals and meats as shown by the World Bank uh, pink sheets that cover commodity prices over time increased slightly between 1997 and 2020, supporting our projections of, of of tighter food markets uh, in the, uh, during this period. And sadly, we also had it right that the progress on reduction in childhood malnutrition would be slow. We projected a decline in the prevalence of childhood stunning from 32% in 1997 to 21.9% in 2020. The AXO value was in, in 2019 from WHO is 21.3%. So again, we had that very close uh, and unfortunately, I wish we were wrong on that. Higher investments, uh, it, we showed, could have dro dropped that a lot further uh, as well when we, we did a higher investment scenario. Or I think that progress on food security could well have been even slower without the 2020 vision program and the foresight scenarios that spotlighted food security challenges and how to respond. Uh, uh, I think our work throughout 2020 vision helped to maintain or increase investments in agriculture and food security. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. Our next is Ruth Mindick, Senior Research Fellow at IFPRI. Ruth, the floor is yours. Thank you. As some of the uh, DGs have mentioned, 2020 really took IFPRI into the big leagues from being a rather nerdy think tank to having a much larger profile. It was pretty audacious to think that we could mobilize the necessary actors for feeding the world, ending poverty, and protecting the earth, as this poster from the first conference indicated. 2020 taught many of us to communicate with a larger audience. In the early days, I co-edited several sets of the 2020 focus briefs uh, on gender, on water. Uh, Rajul came to suggest each of those, and maybe because I'm a glutton for punishment, or because I had learned so much, I volunteered to do one on collective action and property rights. Assembling a team of the key people in each of the fields and then getting them to distill the most important lessons into 3,000 words for a broad audience was a big order, but it was a really incredible learning exercise. I'm still very proud of these publications, as you can tell from the fact that I still have them on my bookshelf. 
Um, for example, in this Capri brief, we uh, got Eleanor Ostrom to write on the understanding collective action um, before she won the Nobel Prize, but still. Um, the uh, gender briefs, uh, nope, gender, uh, <laughs> laid out an agenda on empowering women to achieve food security. Um, that Agnes Kasuming and I structured around different types of assets. That work on strengthening women's assets grew into a whole research agenda that we're still building on, and empowering women has become sort of a theme of, of what our work at IFRI is doing in gender. And while the impact model really provided a core of the 2020 vision, I was always happy to see that the vision initiative um, went beyond what could be modeled. Uh, gender and institutions were included from the beginning. Each of the conferences, and I was able to participate in almost all of them, had a fresh angle on these issues. Um, as Schengen alluded to, the theme of the last 2020 conference on resilience is especially important at this time. And I think we should be revisiting a lot of the work of that conference. For example, I worked on a piece on the role of social capital for resilience, highlighting that you can't just rely on policy by governments. You need formal and informal collective action as well to create resilience. That's something I've been revisiting this year as I'm in touch with NGOs like Foundation for Ecological Security um, that uh, is working with communities in India that are pooling their harvest to feed migrants suddenly set back during the lockdown, or Self-Employed Women's Association that's mobilizing their members to sew masks, check in on each other, and spread accurate and trusted information about how to prevent COVID. I know that most of the attention has been on national and international governmental responses, but tapping into this missing middle of social networks and organizations is really necessary if we're to change behavior, which is gonna be critical for addressing COVID, and to work toward a common good. Uh, now, speaking of common good, Rajul has been able to not only see the big picture of the 2020 vision, but to bring others along to work toward that. Her leadership style is to convince everyone that they have something special to contribute, and that brings out the best in people. I don't know how you've done it, Rajul, but thank you. Thank you so much, Ruth. Our next speaker is Catherine Bertini, Distinguished Fellow of Global Food and Agriculture at the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Catherine, over to you. Thanks very much. And Rajul, congratulations. I know you're going to have a wonderful time. I hope you get to do everything you want to do now in the future. It, thank you, colleagues. It's great to be here with all of you today. I'm going to talk for a few minutes about humanitarian issues and some of the things perhaps that we couldn't have predicted in 1993 uh, when Pear and, and uh, Rajul and colleagues got into this business with many others of us on uh, 2020. Um, and on the humanitarian side, we think about, for instance, the uh, fact that in, in 1993, depending on how you count, in a traditional way, the end of the Cold War was two or four years before that. 
But as Raymond Seitz, a former U.S. ambassador to the U.K., said, it wasn't like the end of a war where you have parades marching down, bands marching down the street and clanging of bells and, and um, church chimes, because, in fact, it was uh, a very gradual thing. And we saw then, in many areas, a decrease in uh, kind of the traditional development assistance. Sometimes donors said it was a Cold War dividend, and and others just changed their assistance. We saw from the 80s even, a decrease in support for agriculture development. We saw a decrease in support for food for development and then in a lot of other sectors as well. Another thing we saw that maybe we wouldn't have been able to predict was the rise of non-state actors. And as a result of so many more conflicts and so many more problems with security. And I know everyone painfully remembers, for instance, in 1996 when the ICRC nurses were murdered in Chechnya, which was the time that we finally realized that the flag of the Red Cross or the UN or an NGO was not going to protect us from many of these uh, new players. We then also saw, as, as was predicted, and I think one reason why, the, why IFPRI was looking to include the environment, we saw a lot more uh, challenges for, uh, because of climate, more disasters, uh, that had to be responded to. And then ultimately we had a lot more intense emergencies because many of these factors combined to say that first of all, we had people who were living midst disasters for much longer. Right now we can look at Syria and Yemen, for instance, DRC as examples of that. Um, we, um, we ended up having to spend much more money on logistics, on fuel, on food, and, um, and also on security. On the other hand, we spent more money collectively on better food, more nutritious food, or more options, different kinds of options for food. And one of the other, I think, good news stories was that finally people started paying attention, more attention to gender. And this, I put big uh, highlights around the work that IFPRI's done, Ruth mentioned it, but she and Agnes and others led by all the DGs, we're the first ones talking about gender in any of these international food-related uh, programs. And Pierre, if you, if you wanted to make an impact with the big boys, I hope you did. But the little boys, and we were boys, like WFP, um, you made a huge impact because you're, you were the game in town that actually could give empirical evidence for why we should be paying attention to women and girls. And that made a huge difference. So, um, so that was pretty, pretty major in our own, in our own systems. Um, we, um, we saw, however, not a lot of systemic changes, except perhaps the, more of a push for, toward cash and, um, uh, in, as opposed to in-kind. We saw over time hunger decreasing, um, but at the same time, uh, we saw um, crises like the food price crisis where there were jumps up in, in, in hunger numbers. And then on the good side, we saw programs with new emphasis by the UN, like the uh, Sun, uh, the new Sun system, or the uh, the creation and the development of GAIN. Um, we, um, but but then again, these ups and downs brought us to the down even before COVID, of the numbers showing that there were uh, increases in the numbers of desperately poor and hungry people uh, that needed attention. And now after COVID, I think it was Joachim that said that we needed to pay attention to both health and uh, nutrition um, as we try to deal with reaching the hunger, hungry, hungriest of us in this effort. I think there are several um, uh, 
or a system set up and meeting set up in the future, which IFPRI is an integral part, and which and for which the, the research of IFPRI has been a, a basis of a lot of the work of many other organizations. And those are the UN um, the Food Systems Summit that's coming up, as well as the Tokyo Nutrition Summit. And each of those will be opportunities to push up some of these agendas forward and to help us rebuild the systems collectively uh, to be able to help ensure that everyone has access to, um, to um, all their food needs and that the environment is properly protected, as if Pre had hoped when it began uh, its 2020 initiative in 1993. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Our final rapid fire presentation is from Robert Parlberg, research fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School and the author of a new book, Resetting the Table, Straight Talk About the Food We Grow and Eat, to be published this coming October. Over to you. Thank you, uh, Laura. It's an honor to participate in this uh, retrospective on the 2020 Vision Initiative with so many valued um, associates and, and friends. I'm on the program because on several occasions, IFPRI asked me to conduct uh, formal external impact assessments of the 2020 initiative. Actually, there's a second reason I'm, I'm on the program. Uh, I wouldn't miss this celebration because uh, Rajul was my student some years ago when she was an undergraduate at uh, Wellesley College. And, uh, I checked my old grade books and she was in a class with 46 students. She was one of only two students to get an A in that class. I've completely lost track of the other student, but I've not been surprised at all to see uh, Rajul go on to do uh, such terrific work, high impact work uh, in her career at IFRI. Uh, to my assessments, my first assessment was done back in 1999, following the initial phase of, of 2020. For this initial assessment, I used multiple methods to uh, reconstruct the impact of 2020 on three different audiences. First, international researchers and educators. This was IFPRI's traditional uh, audience. But second, international policy leaders, including in the donor community, and third, policy leaders in the developing world. I found that if the goal is reaching these audiences with 2020 materials and messages, uh, the impacts uh, ranged from highly significant to significant. Uh, in terms of helping to shape a new consensus within each of these audiences, uh, that's a goal that Pear uh, stressed. I found that the impacts ranged from significant to at least uh, noticeable. And if you want the details, this report uh, with all the others is on IFPRI's uh, website. In terms of catalyzing new, new actions or policies, and this is, this is by far the highest impact hurdle to, to get over, uh, here I found some noticeable impacts even in the short run. Most important was donor funding um, as Catherine and others have mentioned aggregate levels of multilateral and bilateral donor, donor support for agriculture had been falling when the 2020 initiative was launched. Um, those levels of funding were stabilized in 1997-1998, and in some cases, uh, the fall was actually reversed. And I was able to document that the 2020 Vision Initiative played at least a noticeable role 
in that important reversal. Uh, I should say my, my assessment was for impact, not for cost effectiveness. If it had been a cost effectiveness assessment, uh, the 2020 score would have been even higher. When I did my first assessment in 1999, the 2020 budget took up only 5% of IFPRI's total budget, and out of 138 staff at IFPRI at the time, only two uh, were spending a majority of their time on the 2020 initiative. Fortunately, uh, one of those two was uh, my former student, uh, Rajul Pandyalorch. I was subsequently asked by IFPRI to assess the impact of, of two of its larger 2020 conferences that you've heard mentioned. First, the conference in Delhi in 2011 on nutrition, and then the Resilience Conference in Addis uh, in 2014. Now, there were no best practices for, for measuring the impact of a, of a single conference, so I had to come up with my own method. Uh, before each conference, I, I established baselines for funding levels and professional attention levels to the chosen themes of these conference. I then measured changes uh, from those baselines during and after the conferences. Um, to measure professional attention, I monitored changing content on organizational websites. I counted Google hits uh, for combinations of theme words. Using these methods, I was able to document uh, what we all saw happening intuitively and, uh, and these impacts have been mentioned already. Uh, prior to the Delhi meeting, uh, there was no enthusiasm, no universal enthusiasm inside the CG system for adding a new research program on agriculture, nutrition, and, her and health. But after Delhi, the Independent Science and Partnership Council came around and concluded that such a program was, was justified. Uh, as Schengen pointed out, this conference was a key milestone. Um, the 2014 conference at Addis did something similar for uh, the widely appreciated, now widely appreciated concept of, of resilience. The timing and the site for this conference were well chosen. The Horn of Africa had just gone through a terrible drought and a food emergency in 2010-2011. My impact assessment for Addis used surveys to document uh, the new knowledge, the new contacts, and the new collaborative initiatives that were launched at that conference and the, the prominence today of resilience concepts in professional discourse on food systems is a testimony to the lasting impact of that conference. So um, now that calendar year 2020 is actually here, uh, I would uh, conclude that IFPRI and, and Rajul in particular are entitled to a, a victory lap or two. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Rob. At this point, we'll now move to the Q&A portion of our program. I'll read one question at a time and the relevant speaker will respond. Um, and please note that in some interest instances and in the interest of time, we might have to consolidate some of your questions. So our first um, question, I'm actually going to uh, combine a couple um, of questions that were in this vein for our three directors general. Um, and, and the questions generally say 1993 was an optimistic time. Um, what initiative is needed in 2020? Um, and uh, and what, what should be a vision going forward towards 2050? So I'll start um, with Per 
and then to Joachim and then to Schengen. So um, I'll ask you each to be brief so that we can fit as many questions as we can, but Per, uh, would you like to jump in on this question? Yes, I would like to start another uh, activity similar to 2020 initiative, but I guess that's uh, uh, out of order. Um, I think what we need now is, first of all, to better understand the decision-making processes uh, among the decision-makers so that we can actually get some more action. We need to combine, combine the goals that come out of the 2020 Vision Initiative kinds of things and what the decision-makers really want to do. We, we can find win-wins. We can combine the priorities that are currently driving decisions uh, with the priorities that are needed in order to uh, have the world that we're looking for. I think that now we can call that political economy or we can call it something else, but that's something we need to do a lot more work on. Uh, we also need to strengthen the sustainable development uh, goals. Um, they, they are being forgotten by, um, by policymakers, partly because of Corona, but also because they probably would have been forgotten anyway. Uh, I think we really need to strengthen that because that is the way to integrate the, the, the kind of action that we needed. And let me stop here. Wonderful. Thank you, Per. Joachim, um, from your perspective. Well, I think um, we, um, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much in line with what uh, Per just said. We need to take the um, sustainable development goals uh, seriously. Actually, um, if you read SDG 2, the End Hunger and Sustainable uh, Agricultural Production uh, Goals, um, that's uh, pretty much uh, 2020 vision. Um, and um, we shouldn't belittle that. Um, um, I believe that um, the IFPRI 2020 vision initiative had taken um, um, uh, uh, has facilitated a leap forward um, uh, with uh, moving from cutting hunger in half, you remember the Millennium Development Goals towards the SDGs ending hunger. Um, the G7, for instance, uh, uh, made a commitment um, uh, four years ago um, uh, to um, uh, the uh, end hunger goal and by themselves invest in order to um, uh, and hunger for uh, 500 million people. Um, and uh, have they lived up to it? Uh, well, um, their spending on food, agriculture, nutrition, and rural development increased from 8 billion to 20 billion per annum uh, since the year 2000. So um, uh, things have changed. Uh, we need to continue to work on that. The vision needs to be end hunger and malnutrition. Thank you, Joachim. And Schengen, I'll turn it over to you and I'll add another question that we also received um, in light of the Delhi conference uh, was that in recent years, we've lost some of the gains made with regards to health and nutrition and what can be done to counter misinformation and, and reverse missteps leading to this. So perhaps if you want to include that in your response as well. Thank you, Nora. I think the uh, COVID-19 is a wake up call for everybody. Our food systems are very vulnerable to shocks and our food system are not inclusive. So they wake up a call to call for us to take 
resilience very seriously. Uh, the shocks, like a climate change, climate shocks, uh, trade wars, and pandemic, pandemic diseases will come more often more extreme. So how can we take the resilience more seriously? The second is the inclusion. If you look at the, the people who suffered from COVID-19, it is poor, hungry people, it is women, it is children, it is young people. How can we redesign a food system, a future food system to be more inclusive? Can we rebuild our food system better? So this is a huge research agenda, huge policy agenda. 2008 food price crisis was a crisis, but I thought it was also a good opportunity. The funding increased, funding for research increased, CGIR funding doubled, EPRI's funding doubled from 2010, probably up to 2003, 2004. That's partly because, um, 2014, sorry, partly because we engage with policymakers, with donors, with national partners, with using our data, information, and research. Now, the daily conference, that time we didn't pay enough attention to overweight and obesity. The triple burden was mentioned, but we didn't pay enough attention. So today we must take into consideration of three burdens together, malnutrition, hidden hunger, as well as overweight and obesity. Going back to you, thank you, Nora. Thank you so much, Shengen. The next question I'm going to address to Catherine. Um, Catherine, what should the priorities be for policymakers, practitioners, and other stakeholders to address the, the many pressing development challenges we face today, both from conflicts and urgent crises to longer challenges such as climate change and then unexpected global pandemics? Um, anything from your perspective? Uh, thanks, Laura. The global pandemic, of course, is uh, so influential, I guess, in virtually everything else. So the, the short term, in the short term, that and the impacts of that has to be addressed. In the longer term, those impacts include adequate nutrition. And I hope finally in the development of new systems, as Schengen suggested, that, that the um, world will understand the interconnectivity of agriculture, nutrition, and health. Uh, it's, nutrition has always been forgotten in between the two uh, big fields, and, uh, and it's got to be integral, as we have seen from uh, the devastation that COVID has, has wrought on people, especially who weren't healthy to begin with, many of whom because of uh, uh, dietary uh, habits or opportunities. So, so I think the connection of, of nutrition with agriculture and health, the marrying of them, if we can, would be a huge step forward. Great, thank you, Catherine. I'll direct this next question to Rob. Rob, um, what do you think current or new initiatives should be doing to ensure that they have an impact, whether that's in terms of lessons to achieve impact or ways that initiatives should be designing their activities so they can measure their progress? Uh, well, you have to be mindful of uh, the audience uh, of your work. And as Pear pointed out, you have to have a better understanding of how decisions are made inside governments, inside companies, 
by the leaders of civil society organizations. That means you have to stand up from your desk, step away from your computer, talk to people, learn about the world they live in, learn what their agenda is, learn what their concerns are, and give them news that they can use. Researchers do uh, valuable things, but too often they do those things for other researchers. Uh, the, the brilliance of the 2020 initiative was that it uh, disciplined itself uh, to, to look beyond IFRI's uh, traditional uh, audience uh, to go uh, straight to decision makers in, in the profit, the not-for-profit, uh, and in the public sector. Thank you, Rob. Uh, Mark, I'm going to turn this next question to you. You spoke about the importance of the early scenarios and modeling work that contributed to many of the foundational products from the 2020 Vision Initiative. And I was wondering, can you say a bit more about the modeling and foresight work and how that's evolved since the 2020 initiative started? What advances have been made to help us better understand the world? And perhaps what challenges are we still facing in that, in that field of work? Yes, thank you. Uh, there's, yeah, it's really been a continuous process after that first uh, uh, set of analyses for 1995 and then 2000. We've, in those early days, we didn't have a detailed water model that, or detailed treatment of climate change. So we added water fairly early on around 2000 and then climate change uh, during the early 2000s. So of course, these greatly enriched uh, the models uh, so, and allowed us to assess a lot of other alternative policies and investments as, as well as uh, different scenarios depending on the severity of, for example, climate change and water scarcity. We also became much more detailed over time with uh, both uh, highly detailed representations geographically uh, in terms of uh, river basins and, and countries and a big expansion in the number of commodities that we, we've, uh, that we look at. So, the IFRI team there is continuing to work on, uh, on these uh, uh, models and, and scenarios for, for a number of applications that, that have direct uh, impact on don donors and, and on clients who, uh, who request work from these. Great. Thanks, Mark. Um, Ruth, this next question is for you. You talked about um, 2020 Visions Initiative's ability to to reach a broad audience and, um, and put these new um, uh, uh, issues on the agenda. And are there innovative approaches that you've seen more recently, either within or beyond IFPRI, that you think have the potential to similarly expand the conversation to new audiences or elevate important new issues in the development arena? So, um, I think the, the move in toward shorter videos or uh, podcasts has been an issue. One of the things we're starting to look at in partnership with um, organizations uh, such as grassroots women's organizations like Sewa in India is to develop uh, video content that can provide extension to them as well. And I think we now, with a lot of better uh, communications technologies, have ways to actually think about um, poor and hungry people as actors in their own right who, whom we can inform. So I think there are some innovative things there. There's also a lot of innovative things going on in terms of mapping. 
So, uh, for example, the, the effort I mentioned on helping migrants return was using very sophisticated mapping and then targeting where um, efforts should go on this. So I think there's a lot of, of ways to expand out beyond the policymakers, even to the uh, seeing the people uh, as actors themselves. Very exciting. Thank you, Ruth. I'm cognizant of our time. I want to take one last question, and this is for Rajul. Rajul, this may not be a fair question, but which 2020 conference do you have the fondest memories of, or is there a particular conference that stands out to you? Laura, not a fair question at all. You know, I love all the 2020 conferences for so many different reasons. So all of them are very dear to me. But if you were going to give me uh, ice cream after this or something, and, and, and I confess, uh, two of them, I think I would have very special sort of feelings of happiness uh, and a feeling of achievement and so forth. One of them is the Kampala Conference. And for me, particularly as a Kenyan woman, the energy in Kampala was just so positive so optimistic. That was what Joachim said. And coming out of a time when in the 1980s and 90s, Africa was kind of seen as gloom and doom, a lot of not hope, despair. And to feel that energy in Kampala of people coming together from across the continent. It was one of the few first conferences that was across the continent, but more importantly, it was across sectors and across groups. And people told me how much they actually appreciated, A, hearing the three presidents we had there who were arguing with each other. And they said, that's not normal in Africa, that they were hearing younger people speaking, not just sort of seniority only, just cutting across. But that feeling of optimism at the end was what made me, what sticks in my mind. And the second conference for which I have very special memories is the Delhi Conference, Agriculture and Nutrition. And again, I think it is that electricity in the air. You know, you can plan all these conferences, you can do everything you can, but until you have that electricity, that energy, that vibrancy in the air, it's only then that you realize you're making a difference. And we had that in Delhi. And I felt that energy in the air. And it was again that same thing, people coming across different sectors and feeling they have a space in which they could talk across sectors. The con they told me, so many of them told me that you actually brought us together. Agriculture people have lots of venues to talk. Nutrition people have lots of venues to talk, but you created a safe space for people to talk with each other. Of course we could have done better. I wish we had more health people there. But even that feeling of energy, that's what at the end, you know, makes you feel it was worth it, makes you feel it was energy that you made a difference. I love all my conferences, but these two, Africa, because of an African feeling, and sectoral New Delhi, really, really are very special to me. Thank you. Thanks, Rajul. They were all tremendous conferences indeed. Um, I'm looking at our time and there are several people who have submitted questions that we've not had time to respond to. So thank you so much for submitting them and apologies that we were not able to get to all of them. Um, but at this point, I'd like to give each of our speakers 20 seconds for their final takeaway message and we'll go in reverse order. So we'll start with Rob, then Catherine, Ruth, Mark, Per, Joachim, Schengen, and then Rajul. So please feel free to begin speaking as soon as the person before you finishes. So Rob, we'll start with you. 
Okay, thank you, Laura. I would uh, conclude by repeating something said by the World Food Prize Committee when it awarded uh, Per Pinsterp-Anderson the World Food Prize. It called the 2020 Vision Initiative, quote, the most comprehensive and ambitious research and dissemination program ever undertaken on global food security. Well, that's a, a compliment to Pear and to the other DGs who pushed it forward for 25 years, but it's also a special compliment to Rajul. Thank you. Uh, what IFRI has done in terms of providing support for uh, the rest of the organizations and individuals who care about these issues has been huge. And uh, I know that the World Food Program would be nothing um, without the kind of background that IFRI has done. And as I mentioned before, gender is one of those areas. So my final comment, if our mission is to end hunger and malnutrition, then we have to pay attention and highlight and prioritize the role of the people in each household who are in charge of ending hunger and malnutrition in their household, women and girls. This isn't the 2020 we envisioned, but more than ever, we need resilience and collective action for feeding the world, ending poverty, and protecting the environment. COVID or not, that has to be our agenda to come together. We, we've heard a lot about the biggest successes of 2020 vision, but we also see going forward the potential for continued uh, tremendous amount of food insecurity uh, and, and malnutrition to deal with climate change, increasing water scarcity and pandemics. We need not only increases in investment in agriculture development, but increase the in health and nutrition with an emphasis uh, on social safety nets, re reaching the poor and reducing the risk uh, of, of poor people worldwide. We need to mobilize action. The world that uh, we are looking for the world that's uh, defined as the 2020 Vision Initiative is slipping away. We need to mobilize action by the people who can make a difference behind the fact that we have COVID-19. In fact, we need even more action now than we did it before. It's going, we're going the wrong direction and we're going there fast. Well, if it's my turn, um, we have a business and policy agenda. We must not shy away from the investments to achieve the, the goal of end hunger and undernutrition and environmental destruction. Um, for that, we need a change in mindsets, a thorough review of worldviews, lifestyles, and uh, um, a new recognition of the key role of science um, uh, to achieve all that. The upcoming UN Food Systems Summit offers the opportunity for that. It's a logical consequence of the 2020 Vision Initiative, that summit. <clears throat> Rajo, you are leaving IPRI, but you are not retiring from our work. 
And after Ypres six months ago, we, we must continue to work on the same vision you know, to end hunger, malnutrition, the free, free of hunger and malnutrition, nutrition, that's 2020's vision. I think the communication part is, is particularly important. We can always bring the data, evidence, but without communication, the policymakers, the citizens will not be able to hear from us. So Rajo, let's continue to work together until our full mission is accomplished. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Schengen. I look forward to continuing to support initiatives such as the 2020 Vision Initiative and many more in an increasingly crowded information landscape. It is essential that we have such initiatives for the action we all desire, but that such initiatives are research-based, they're evidence-based. They are responsive to demand, not supply-driven. They're inclusive of multiple and diverse perspectives, and especially going forward to include the youth much more engagingly and much more intensively. And finally, that they reach audiences through multiple platforms in the languages they speak and in the ways in which they absorb information. We need such initiatives if we need to move forward action in multiple ways. Thank you very much. Thank you all so much. Now we'll turn to Yo Swinnen, current Director General of IFPRI, to offer his closing reflections. Yo, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, Laura. Um, what is left to say after a conference like this, after so many uh, very interesting interventions, uh, review of, of an amazing initiative which has lasted for almost three decades, it's, in a way, it's been a historical review also over what has changed since 1993. Uh, per mentioned trying, one of the key things was trying to put um, food and agriculture back on the policy agenda in a big time. At the same time, we also went 15 years later to the 2007-2008 food price spike, which did put uh, agricultural and food major in a, in a major way uh, on the policy agenda, as uh, Schengen referred to. We've seen the emphasis during the Vision 2020 conferences, the new emphasis, if you want, on nutrition, on gender, resilience. Each of these items or issues were, if we was ahead of its time, in basically bringing this forward. Over this time, there's been major evolutions about uh, productivity, hunger numbers, hunger shares of people living in poverty, malnutrition, etc. I must say I should uh, congratulate Mark with his audacity of uh, comparing the current uh, situation with actually the predictions of the impact models of 2000, which I think is uh, very impressive. Of course, I don't know whether he would have presented the same results if it would have been very different outcomes today. So, But uh, it was really uh, very impressive, I think. At the same time, much has not changed, okay? So there's still too many people, way too many people uh, having hunger, uh, too many people being malnourished, living in dire poverty. There are a lot of challenges still ahead and more to come. And there are also, to go back to Pear's point, there are too many absentiate unsubstantiated arguments, ideas that are pushed around by special interest or for ideological reasons, which are not based on solid research, which are not based on science. And this is really still very prominent today. Actually, for years, I had a quote of Pear uh, against the wall beyond my, above my desk at my previous job. And so if I have to do this on top of my head, because I don't have the quote anymore, but I think it said something like, the question is not whether GMOs 
will be allowed to contribute to food no it's the question is not whether gmos will contribute to food security in the world the question is whether they will be allowed to do so and so this was a quote i think from the late 1990s and it's still very relevant uh, today one impact of vision 2020 that has not been mentioned uh, today but which i think is very important also for myself is the the impact it has had on ifpri as an institution uh, communication of research results to the outside world, to policymakers. I mean, it's a major feature of IFPRI today. I mean, the communication department uh, under the leadership of Rajul has done a tremendous job, is continuing to do a tremendous job. If we see how they have responded uh, to the COVID-19 uh, impact and then basically the research at IFPRI and how we have communicated that, it's, it's fantastic. I think also the fact, the continued emphasis on solid research to underline uh, our communication, the results that we bring, the, the issues we put forward, uh, the impact model of Mark, Mark already mentioned it as well, has now evolved into a whole set of models. Some are country specific, some are global, some are CGE, some are SAMs, and they are increasingly being integrated, which I think is fantastic as well. The emphasis on gender, okay. Gender in IFPRI is really something which is there throughout the Institute. It's not something mentioned some at some point, but in all the projects and all the activities, gender plays a very prominent role. And I think that nobody considers IFPRI today as a group of nerds, as uh, Ruth mentioned earlier. But I think we have, and IFPRI as a whole, as a consequence of all your leadership and, the, of course, all the contribution of many staff, um, has taken a significant role on the world stage today, I think. So this is a wonderful institution that I entered after the amazing leadership and the contributions of so many staff. I do have one complaint though at the end, uh, uh, maybe mostly for air. So, so much of the vision 2020 still remains relevant today. So many things left to do as many of you have emphasized. And so Per, if you would have called it vision 2030 in, uh, back in 1992, it would have made my life much easier because I wouldn't have to worry about a new name and a new research strategy. I could just continue under your vision 2030. And a final word uh, about Rajul. Actually, it's not going to be my final word, Rajul, because we will still be meeting each other tomorrow. But uh, Schengen mentioned that with every DG, Rajul was taking on a new job from research assistant to personal assistant to chief of staff, to, uh, to director of uh, CPA. I guess in 2020, there was only two options left, Raju. One is become director general yourself or retire. Okay, so, and I'm gonna leave it. I'm not gonna speculate what would be being the best for IFPRI, whether the choice that you, you took now. So with that, let me just end by thanking you as so many people have done for all the work that you have done. And We'll still have a time uh, tomorrow for a final talk on that. But thank you very much. Thanks all for all the panel. I thought this was a fantastic session. Back to you, Laura. Thank you so much, Yo, And thank you to all our speakers today. And thank you, everyone, for joining us for this fantastic discussion. Keep well and stay safe.